You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com. But uh, just wanted to clarify that for anybody. You don't have to petition to be on the ballot because of Mike Cole, who is also our Hamilton County Chair. And he is going to talk about the planning that goes into running a race and starting your campaign successfully, because that's the most important. Start it right, then it runs right on time, like a well-oiled train. Just that's even a say. I want to clarify a couple things. Uh, what Chris said about actually getting on the ballot, if you're going to run for a county office, other than county prosecutor, then your county chair, if you're in an organized county, will you, your county will stage a uh, county convention next spring sometime, uh, hopefully immediately before or after our state convention, your county chair and your county secretary will then file what used to be called a CAN 22, although it may be called something else next year, uh, with your county clerk, with your signature, the chair's signature, and the county secretary's signature on it. That is the form that's mandatory for your county clerk to put you on the ballot. If you want to run for U.S. Senate, U.S. Congress, uh, Indiana House, Indiana Senate, or county prosecutor, secretary of state, or uh, state auditor, which I think is the other statewide office of, then you will either, as Chris said, appear at our convention and put your name in nomination, or notify Chris prior to the convention that you want to be put in nomination in writing, and with some excuse that, you know, my dog is sick or whatever, I won't be able to make it to the convention. We prefer if you appear because we like to know who we're voting for. Uh, at, when nominations close, on April 24th, <coughs> people are nominated to be on the ballot by our convention. We don't do it in secret, we do it at an open convention. Then I and John Schick, who's our state chair, will sign the appropriate forms and submit it to the state election division. Uh, and then we'll talk about the campaign finance forms, the candidate forms, and stuff that you guys have to file. Uh, I believe Mike's going to talk about that during that right. Uh, if you don't make a decision, or if you know other people subsequent to your county convention, or to the state convention, our convention is on April 24th. Our filing deadline, I believe, is going to be June 30th, because it has been in prior years. We can still get people on the ballot up to June 30th. Uh, there's a secret uh, sequence of things that we have to do that the state changes every once in a while and forgets to let us know, but we're going to be more on top of it this year, uh, to make sure that people, post-convention candidates, can actually get on the ballot. So hopefully that clarified it. If you're going to run for a state-level state office or county prosecutor, you're nominated at the state convention. Anything county-wide or lower, uh, you get nominated at your county convention. If you are in an unorganized county, then the state central committee will take care of that function for you. Just let us know. Okay. And because we're doing this YouTube style, it's in 10-minute segments. And so I awkwardly have to reintroduce my coal. So it flows for the YouTube people. So, Sorry about that. So, I'd like to now introduce our 2006 Secretary of State candidate and Hamilton County Chair, Mike Cole. One thing Chris did, I, wanna, I kind of want to go over again. I was, I, I was pleased to see, actually, that not that many of you had declared your candidacy yet. So if I could see some hands, who is a candidate right now? One. Good. No, that's good. Because there are a lot of things that you should do 
before you file the papers. And, uh, and, and I'm going to cover a lot of that. You know, what, what we talk about, or the title of my discussion is Beginning the Race. There are a lot of things you need to do to begin the race before you actually begin the race in order to do it properly. And you have a certain luxury right now. You have time. You know, if you come forward in April to run for office at the convention, you have some time, but you don't have the luxury of time that you have now where you can put serious and important thought into the foundation of your campaign. Um, too many times, candidates, they're on fire about something. They want to run. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's a really great thing. But what happens is you charge ahead and you get into it, and then you realize, whoa, I hadn't thought about this. I hadn't thought about that. So it's actually a good thing that so few of you are filed, have, have filed your papers and are, uh, and are at that point, because I'm going to bet you haven't covered everything. And I, and I say that with, with, a, certain, with a certainty that, that I hope you don't take as arrogance. But because I ran, when I ran in 2006, I declared my candidacy 26 months ahead of my actual election day. So I had a, as much time as any libertarian candidate has ever had to prepare. And there were still things that I didn't think of with 26 months to cover ahead of the election. So it's important to, to be here today. I thank you for coming here and taking advantage of the ballot access and, and to put your mind in gear to think of the foundational things that you need to do. There, there are really two things that are, that are the most important that you can do. And I want to leave you with, with, or lead off with that right away. The first one is know thyself. You have to know yourself. You have to know what's important to you. Why are you running for office? What has you on fire? For instance, if you are fired up about the war in Iraq, well, why would you run for county commissioner? If this is your top issue, don't run for county commissioner. You run appropriately. You run for a, a congressional office that can affect the war in Iraq, where you can be on the soapbox as a candidate and talk about that most important issue to you. But you have to know that before you start. You have to think about all of the offices that are on the ballot for 2010, and then do a self-assessment. When you're thinking politics, which for some of you is all the time, which is beautiful, but you know, but when you're thinking politics, you're online, you're you're looking at uh, news websites. Which issues do you gravitate towards? Now, I, I grant you, libertarians have a very wide range of policy knowledge and policy interest. But generally, most of us are going to have just one or two or three issues, or maybe a category of issues that really fire us up. Some of us are, are very interested in the economy. Now, there's a lot of issues that go with that. I mean, you know, there's labor law, there's unemployment, there's uh, uh, tax issues that underlie why businesses come to us, a wide range of things, but that's a category to know about yourself. Again, if you are very interested in, in being someone who can craft a budget or be part of the budgetary process, you want to run for an office that has legislative authority. You want to run for Congress. You want to run for State House or State Senate, County Council. 
city council, all of these, they have budgetary authority. You do not want to run necessarily for Secretary of State. It has no budgetary authority whatsoever. So if this is an area of your, of your interest, you need to know about that. So what I suggest for anybody to do is to analyze yourself as to where you find yourself reacting and where you find yourself, where do you post on blogs? Whose blogs? Do they have a particular flavor and are there, are there issues that you always hit upon? Take note of that. When do you take off your shoe and throw it at the TV when you're watching the news? This is an issue that obviously matters enough for you to do something like that, okay? Take note of that. This is something you probably want to run for. I have seen a lot of people, though, who have great, deep interest in very specialized issues, the drug war, and they're running for something that doesn't affect it at all. And it's going to be extremely frustrating to you if you do that. You're going to find yourself speaking inappropriately, and you'll find the press will notice. Well, this guy's running for dog catcher. What in the hell is he talking about the drug war for? <laughs> Catch your dogs! That's what we want you to do. They'll notice that, and they will hold you to that. You should hold yourself to that first. You need to know what your strengths and your weaknesses are. You need to know, for instance, maybe you are a phenomenal writer. Maybe you're a horrible writer, and you know that. Maybe you're a great public speaker. Maybe you look really great and desire yourself in front of a television uh, camera. There, there are a lot of things that are strengths. For instance, before we started today, I don't know if you noticed this, I went around to the entire room, introduced myself, and shook hands with everybody in the room. Now, that's something that's about my personality, for one thing. It's also working the room. And that's something that, for certain offices, is much more important to be able to work the room than others. And there are some offices, if you can't work the room, you should not run for them. Because it's so expected that you are personable and you, know, you may have the best policy solutions to our problems today, but if they look at you and go, he couldn't even come up and shake my hand. I can't vote for him. There are a lot of people who will think that way. So you have to know this about yourself. You have to do a very serious self-assessment about your strengths and your weaknesses. When you do this, when you know thyself, it will, it's, it's funny, it will kind of direct you into issues or into offices appropriately, and you'll be able to run for them. Now, to back up for myself to explain how that worked for me, uh, and why did I run for Secretary of State in 2006? I uh, grew up in Ohio, and in Ohio, they had not had ballot access until just this year. They won a court case that mattered for once. They, they routinely won court cases after the election was over that said, oh yes, libertarians, you should have had ballot access, but <laughs> sorry about your luck. Uh, now they've got actual ballot access. Well, I grew up there, I lived in Ohio until I was 34 years old, and I was very frustrated because I've been a libertarian for a long time, and I would have run for office as a libertarian in Ohio. Now, forward to Indiana. I came here and found a very robust state party that had not just an organizational structure, but was running hundreds of candidates for office. Now this, this is my kind of place. So I wanted to be certain that I was going to run here. And it was important to me to continue to deliver to people in Indiana the opportunity that I couldn't enjoy in Ohio. 
and that was ballot access. So that candidates could simply sign a form saying, yes, I'm a candidate, I'm running for this office, with their appropriate party name. That was crucially important to me. It, it bugged me no end until I got here. And so that made it an appropriate office for me to run for, because I could bring that passion to the table to talk about those issues that surrounded ballot access and fair elections. And Secretary of State is the appropriate place to do that. Not dog catcher, not county commissioner, not even governor, not even uh, state legislature necessarily, because the rules of the game for elections were tied to Secretary of State. So I had to do enough research to know that that was the place that I should end up and run appropriately. So that was all about knowing thyself. And that spills into knowing the office. You have to, once you've identified yourself, then you have to look through, well, what office is this going to point me to? For me, it was very obvious, Secretary of State. And, and I think for most people, it'll be very obvious. When you start to hone in on a couple of issues that really matter to you, it's going to direct you. You know, if, if you're always talking federal issues, you run for a federal office, but you have to do your research. You have to know precisely what those offices do. And now I've got just a few seconds, so I'm going to, Take a break here in a moment, and we'll uh, get going again after our time is correct. Okay. Now you can <coughs> start again. Okay. To know the office you want to run for, you have to know, first of all, if you're qualified. Now, you may have a great deal of interest in managing a budget. But if you're not a CPA, should you run for treasurer? If you are a CPA, shouldn't you run for treasurer? I'm looking at CPA. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, Todd, just saying. But, but when, you, when you look into your own resume, you will find that there may be some shortcomings that could be exposed. Do you know enough? Are you qualified? There are some things perhaps in your professional background that make you far more qualified to run for an office such as county commissioner, if you are a structural engineer, if you are a land surveyor. Uh, it, these, are, these are job professions that bring you right in line with the duties of office. Why? Well, com county commissioner is in charge of overseeing the letting of projects such as building bridges and roads and sewage projects. These are very important. Uh, budgetary items that affect every one of us where we live locally. And if you have that kind of expertise, you can run for an office like that. I'm looking at somebody who's got that kind of experience, by the way. Just saying. <laughs> and then are you passionate about the duties? You know, the worst thing in the world could be you could run for something and win, but you don't care about the office. You know, I mean, if, if it's not important to you, you're probably not going to win. But it could come to play. The strange things happen. And, and this election season coming up, we're going to have some unique opportunities as the two parties have demonstrated, especially at the federal level. But that telegraphs, right? But especially at the federal level, that they just won't deliver. They won't even deliver on the things they campaign on. Republicans showed that over the years. And now the Democrats are doing their level best to say, us too, we aren't going to deliver. Okay, so there's going to be some opportunities for libertarian candidates out there that are fairly unlike previous years. So you best be prepared. You could win. 
I'll kick your butt if you win and do a lousy job of it. Because when we have people who are elected to office, we are under the microscope. We have to do well. We do have to deliver. Uh, particularly in light of the fact that the other two parties are not delivering and they're not listening to people. So, so it's very important to have that kind of passion that's going to carry you through the entire duration of the race and then if you win, you have to be able to deliver. You'll have to do some uh, opposition research. you probably find that fairly easy to do. That may be one of the things that drew you to the race in the first place. You look at it and say, oh, my representative isn't representing me or my neighbors or anybody else in this district. He's playing a lot of golf whatever. You know, you want to know about your opponent. Where are their weak spots and where are their strengths? Give you a curious example. District 5, where I live. Dan Burton is my U.S. House rep. His reputation is very poor. Very poor. However, some of the things libertarians tend to run on, particularly fiscal issues, you're going to have a hard time stacking up against a man because he's actually got some positions that are fairly in line with us. I know somebody who, who that, that's meaningful for. Now, that's real important to know because you don't want to get up in a debate and start going on and on and then sounding like the person you're trying to displace. You've got to make yourself unique. You've got to make yourself stand out in positive ways. And you certainly don't want to go up there and say, me too, what he said, yeah. Well, why are you there then? So you have to know these things before you get into the moment and you get stuck on this. Now, of course, you're going to have overlap with some of, you know, as Chris pointed to earlier, you've got Democrats and Republicans going, hey, we're polar opposites. No, libertarians, we do share things with Democrats. We do share things with Republicans. It's just important to know what they are so it doesn't expose you as not having something of your own. You want to stand out and have something of your own. Now, this might be the most important part of all. If you're married, you're in a family. <laughs> Is your spouse on board? Do not file any papers. Do not file any papers until you have cleared this with your spouse. If you have children, you clear it with your children. Who, who, whatever your living arrangement is, you clear it with the people in your life directly. I'll give you again my background. My wife is a liberal Democrat. She does not support all the policy that I support, but she supported me 100% because she understood my passion for the office I was running for, and she knew why I was running. And so she was able to back that fully, even when we might have in-house policy disagreements. But uh, that's the important thing. You speak with your spouse beforehand and say, listen, honey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. This is real important to me. I, I really want to do this. You may be able to sell it right then and there on your enthusiasm, but the reality, listen, I ran for 26 months. I had to have her on board so that she didn't bail on me after 24, okay? Because down the stretch, you really don't need that kind of support. And it, and it comes in a lot of different ways. Uh, for some people, you might be self-funding your campaign. For others, uh, you may have a lot of events in your home. What is it going to look like if you're going to have fundraisers in your home and your spouse does not back your campaign? That's, that's a disaster. You can't have that. Uh, so you need to have your spouse on board fully, and you have to discuss the ramifications of the, of the whole thing. I mentioned self-funding. You, you tell your spouse at the beginning, hey, I'm going to put $1,000 in here just to make sure I've got some operational money. 
You do not want to end up at the end where you put in 10,000. Spouse will not be happy. You will have to live with that. Mark Rutherford there, when he was state chair, used to make a great joke for us. Ha, ha, ha. If I'm not putting great strain on your marriage, I am not pushing you hard enough. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. (laughs) It's very funny, ha, ha, ha. But there's a lot of truth to the fact that if you're running a full-blown statewide campaign, which means, like in my case, I put 30,000 miles on the car and did about 300 uh, appearances. You're gone a lot. Can your marriage withstand that? Is your spouse on board for that? You have to know before you file the papers because you do not want to get to six weeks out of the election and be served papers (laughs) by a lawyer. (laughs) You don't want that. You also want to advise your extended family. Uh, I had incidents with my parents. I mentioned I ran for 26 months and I didn't didn't address everything. I, I didn't know. My parents weren't behind my, uh, my race, so I asked them for money, and they said no. They said no several times, until I figured out a way to kind of couch the, uh, the, the discussion and say, well, listen, I need to have a wardrobe that's appropriate for the office I'm running for, and the mom said, oh, clothes, sure. <laughs> Why did you say so? <laughs> now, until I got to that crucial point of getting over the hump and understanding what would appeal to her, you know, I'm very upset. And when you're running for office, you don't want to be thinking about how upset you are with your parents. I'm 40 years old. I'm thinking about why I'm upset with my parents. This is the province of 23-year-olds. What am I doing? (laughs) But this is a real thing. If you don't prep your entire extended family all the way through, it could get you in the weirdest ways down the road. And then money. Can you afford it? That... You know, some people do self-fund. What was the guy from New Jersey, Corzine? $62 million that he spent out of his own pocket so that he could become a U.S. Senator from New Jersey. (laughs) Who here has $62 million that they can put into the campaign? You do? Yes. Let's talk about business opportunities later. Um, You have to take an honest self-assessment, and you should declare right from the beginning whether or not you will self-fund. I declared from the beginning, I will not self-fund, period. I will only raise what I can raise, and that, and that will be that. Financially, you also have to consider, what will my employer think of this? If I've got to go running to can- campaign f- uh, forums uh, in the middle of the day, if you uh, have, have a business arrangement where you're a contractor, will your contract administrator stop giving you work because they feel that you have too much on your plate. That happened to me. This running for office, Ron Fosho, this is the Bible. He has a book called, or a, there's a magazine called uh, Campaigns and Elections. Read it. Subscribe to it. To conclude about can you afford it, you have to consider that for some people, winning can actually be a pay cut. I mean, if you make $100,000 a year and you get a county commissioner's job, it can be a pay cut. That's also one of those things to talk about with your spouse. So understand, as part of your research, how much does the office pay? For many of you, it doesn't matter. That's not why you're running, it doesn't matter. But for others, be real about the skeletons in your closet. This is important. It doesn't matter, really, in my opinion, what you're running for. If you have deep, dark secrets, 
Don't think for a minute. Oh, they'll never find that. <laughs> One word. Google. They will find it. If there's something out there in your past, it can be found, and easily and inexpensively. They will find it. Now, for myself, the worst thing I had was a tendency towards punk rock haircuts in high school and blue hair. Now, I didn't make a dent in the sort of tolerance threshold, if you will, such that they let that one go out into the press. But I suspect if I had hit 20% in some polling, that high school picture, that would have been everywhere. That would have been everywhere. I'd have done it. Look, this guy had blue hair. You want him running? You want him to be your secretary of state? Well, I mean, it's fairly innocuous, but it's real. And people do this when you have reached close to the opportunity threshold. Uh, so you got to know where they are. And what I advise is this. If, you're, if your skeletons are major, don't run. Don't run. You know, you've got an ugly felony somewhere back there. Don't run. Save yourself the embarrassment, save your family the embarrassment, save the Libertarian Party the embarrassment. If your skeletons are minor, repair the damage where it lies. You know, if it's somebody in your past who you think will say some unflattering and unhappy things, you know, if, if the press goes in and, and, well, I don't know, interviews your ex-wife or something on that order, see if you can't repair the bridge just a little bit before you, you file the papers. I mean, some people you can't fix the problems that you have, not ever, not at all. But if you can, take that opportunity to make sure the relationships in your life are patched up sufficiently that they don't come to be something that you have to spend a month of your precious campaign thinking about. It's, it's not worth it. And, and yeah, like I said, it, and prepare reactions. I was prepared. If that, that punk rock haircut came out there, I knew what I was going to say about it. Hey, as a youthful indiscretion, that's when you do it. You know, I was 16, what do you, you know. But, but I had it ready. I had a statement printed. I had my own explanation for it. And, and, and with, a, with a great punchline, it's not so important as to what's on top of someone's head, but what's in it. Mm. I had it fairly well worked out, and I was kind of actually hoping it might come out so I could use the punchline. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> now, after you've done all these things, now you are ready to file the papers. Now you're ready to actually begin the race after you've done this foundational stuff. I would advise you take six to eight weeks to really think about all the foundational things, to get them in order. And by the way, even if you do those things and you don't run, you will find that your life works a little bit better. Sam mentioned the CAN, the CAN 22 form. If you say the phrase, hey, I'm running for whatever, you are a candidate. You are now, whether you've raised a nickel or not, you are a candidate. The de declarative statement, I am a candidate, means you are, as far as election law is concerned. And you better file your papers within 10 days, because that's also what the law says. And if you don't, you can be fined. You don't want to be fined. Why would you want to raise $2,000 for the life of your campaign and be fined $1,000 for not filing on time? Chances are, at that point, by the time the, the Elections Commission finally gets to you, you'll have to write that check out of your own money. And, and worse than that would be you take it out of your campaign money because then you've got to explain to the people who donated to you who wanted to have radio and TV ads or print ads or, or yard signs or bumper stickers, well, you know, we didn't do that because I got a thing of fine. Listing your objectives. 
This is important for most of us because we'll go straight into the secondary objectives. Of course, you want to run to win. But it's not the only thing. I would have been a very crushed man if I had pinned all my hopes on winning the race for Secretary of State and came away with a 3.2 percentage result. However, I had my secondary objectives in place. 2%, as Chris pointed to, gave the entire state party ballot access. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's good stuff. Almost every office is going to have secondary objectives available to it so that if you don't win, you will bring value to the voters in your districts. Uh, For me, something just came up now. Uh, I ran in 2006. Rebecca St. Burris ran same office, Secretary of State, in 2002. We both had as a a secondary objective that our issues would be co-opted by the major parties, and we found that this has finally happened. We were talking about the gerrymandering of districts, and you may have heard current Secretary of State Todd Rakita is now talking about this. Listen, that was not his bold idea, okay? But he took our idea and made it something that he's put forward because he wants to run for governor and he needs something to stand on. Whoa. So allegedly. <laughs> we'll not discuss this broadcast. But but see now there. I mean you come a couple years after the election even and something that you did during the campaign bears fruit later. Then this is the history of third parties. Uh, look at just labor law. I mentioned that earlier. The Progressive Party, capital P, Progressive Party of the nineteen early part of the nineteen hundreds. You look at labor law, it's all they're doing. All the progressive parties do it. You look at the 40-hour work week, you look at child labor laws, you look at uh, some of the regulations that have come. Say what you want about them, whether or not you agree, but they were effective in that regard and they weren't electing a whole lot of people to office. This is something that you can do win or lose. You bring good ideas forward, you can stand back after it's done and watch them take that issue and make it their own may as well have been elected. The bottom line is getting policy across, no matter how you do it. So sort out what your secondary objectives will be. They can be tied not only to policy, though, but to uh, your districts. For instance, you may have it as an objective, I'm going to win my home precinct. Okay, I can't, if you're running for statewide office, you can't walk the whole state. But I can walk my precinct, and I can win my precinct by going door to door to everybody in my precinct. Uh, and you will see, your, you, if you do walk your district, you will see your numbers go way up. They will go way up. Uh, you can run to educate voters. My objective is to get the message out and let them know that there's another way of thinking about how to solve the health care solution or the health care problems or what have you, name your issue. Uh, you can also run as a paper candidate. Uh, while that's not very sexy, it can be effective too if you realize, gosh, I've got no time, I've got no money, but there's this one office here, uh, the the township trustee would be otherwise unopposed if I didn't at least put my name on the the ballot. You'll do that and at least then make them have to answer some questions. Uh, The big concern of my wife in this particular instance is that she's seen a lot of political games that have been played uh, throughout history. Yes. And her big concern is having a bunch of lies just made up and dumped on her. That's a tough one because it, you have no way to know what it would be until it actually falls in your lap. Uh, the best thing you can always do is just be prepared to bring forward the truth. But if somebody dumps a big zinger in your lap that's completely untrue, 
you call a press conference and you bring your family and your people that matter to you around you, you bring your team and you stand with you and let it be seen they support you and this is crap. This is a lie, okay? You, you, you have to stop that stuff down real fast.